Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. Rachel, it feels so good to say that again. I know, I missed you. I missed you too. It's been two weeks since our last episode and we are back with all the royal news we missed. I'm your co-host, Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And a few housekeeping reminders, as always, before we dive into this jam-packed, super special episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Email the pod, info at gallerypodcasts, with an S on the end, dot com. Your diction on that was incredible. I think uh, a few people have been emailing without the S. So just a shout out to get that email address, info at gallerypodcasts.com. But we've got so many listener emails We're going to get to all of them, I promise. A great one today. Also, don't forget, you can call up the latest episode of Royally Obsessed via your Amazon Alexa. It's as simple as saying, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed podcast. You should definitely do that. My Alexa's talking. I was just going to say, mine's listening to you. (laughs) It's that easy. There she goes. She's about to go play it. You can do it and yell at her, or you can just do it live. (laughs) Alexa, stop. We are keeping that in. This is great. So loud. Like I said, jam-packed episode. What are we talking about today, Rachel? So much. I think the biggest and most emotional thing to fathom is that it has officially been one year since Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II passed away. We are reflecting on that, and we are joined by the incredible Tina Brown, author of the Diana Chronicles and the Palace Papers, to talk about all this transpired since September 8th last year. We are also discussing Meghan and Harry at Beyonce. This was a highlight of the week. Twice. Twice. Kate and William are headed to France. George, Charlotte, and Louis are back at school. We think. No photos yet. And Prince Andrew, is he back in the royal fold? We're going to discuss that and so much more coming up. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. So much more to and a half weeks of royal news. And to get through all of that, in honor of that poignant anniversary you just mentioned, the passing of Queen Elizabeth II on September 8th, 2022, we are drinking what is said to be her favorite drink, a gin and Dubonnet. Cheers, Rachel. I wish we were in person, but we will be tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm so excited to see you tomorrow. I know. I can't wait. I remember when we emailed Micah Meyer about the pronunciation of Dubonnet, and she really helped us out with that. Do you remember that? Early 2020? (laughs) <laughs> and I love this drink, actually. It reminds me of something I had in Lisbon over the long weekend, which was a port and tonic. It's kind of Ooh, similar to that. Speaking of Lisbon, I want to hear all about it. Roberta, your sort of slice of life photos that you shared on Instagram are just so stunning. Brought me back immediately. I hope there's more oh. to come. How was it? It was, I mean, just incredible. I want to go back so bad. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Lisbon is such a beautiful city. It's one of my top favorites, I think. It it really... For me, too. It's so memorable. It took the cake. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. I had so many pastiches, as they say. So, so much port. So many Aperol spritzes. What was your favorite thing that you did there? Oh, that's tough. What was my favorite thing? I think what was really cool was this dinner we had at a... um, an old 18th century palace called the Palacio de Grillo. It's really alternative. It was like kind of a theater performance too, but the the setting was just stunning. It was just, it was amazing. Everything was so beautiful. Oh, the tuk-tuk tour was really, oh, really wow. cool where we went up and down the hills of Lisbon and we had Ricardo, which he was just the, 
best driver and it's those little like um almost like a rickshaw but kind of more structured and it it was amazing the tiles Dave the tiles are tiles what i remember the most oh my I, gosh i took home a tile and i am so happy it's in my kitchen right now oh. so but tell me about your birthday happy oh my birthday. gosh my birthday was very very uh low-key very chill we were in maine roberta sent me flowers that was such a thoughtful thoughtful thing to do tiny, tiny it was so present. surprising and uh yeah maine is just so spectacular we went to the beach every single day it was really nice and a treat to be there for two weeks. And my cousin had his wedding and it was beautiful and magical. Your photos of Finn just like has so happy living his best life. I the feel like you is all live best your best life. life. Yeah. It's just a cutoff. Like that's what I think it is for me when I go to Maine where I feel like it's very, um, it's always been that for me. So I think the association hits as soon as I cross the bridge into Maine and it's it's there every time. It's that great thing. But it actually gives me Balmoral vibes because oh. of the like cold beach weather kind of. I can picture yes, Kate and very the kids running along. Jumper yeah. or sweater weather for sure. Yeah. Well, let's get back to the Royals, even though I could catch up with you for days. We have all day tomorrow to do that. I so I'm looking forward to it. But we had like I said, so many wonderful listener emails come in while we were off. We promise we will get to them. I'm looking at you, Brianna, Joe, Britt, Jamie, Susan, more than I can even name. This one is from Katie. She wrote to us from Morris Plains, New Jersey. She says, hi, Rachel and Roberta. I'm a dedicated Roro, and I love listening to the pod to keep up with all things royal. I even got my mom to listen so we can discuss the royal goings on. On your last episode, you ran down the list of September engagements, one being Prince William's visit to New York City. I live in New Jersey, so it's just my luck that a royal will be nearby while I'm in London on my own vacation. But maybe I'll have my own royal sighting, since I'll be visiting some royal palaces and, of course, places I've written down from your recommendations. I'm excited to see the Crown to Couture exhibit at Kensington, the coronation robes on display at Buckingham, and having a tea at Fortnum and Mason, where the Queen had tea at her Diamond Jubilee in 2012. Thank you for all the work on the podcast. It's a highlight of my week. God save the pod. Katie. Okay, so... I noticed that there are also some other Roros planning trips to London and the UK this fall. You guys should all connect in the Facebook group and Smart. like get together and have like a royal meetup. That would be so much fun. Oh my gosh, yes. And I love uh, this whole itinerary for what what is happening with Katie's plans. I also was so delighted, Roberta, to see the thread that took place, speaking of the Facebook group, about what to do in our you know, during our break when we didn't have a couple of episodes for back-to-back weeks and everyone just chiming in with recommendations like the Chris Jackson episode and others. And I thought that that was just so kind of everyone and warmed my heart while I was in Maine. (laughs) We got so, such lovely feedback on the um, Lady Violet Manners episode as well in Beaver Castle. I'm so glad that you guys liked that about the Duchess pod. It really is a wonderful podcast. I feel like a lot of you guys are tuning in now. So that is really exciting. Now, this week in royal history. All right, changing gears to something more somber. This week in royal history, we are looking back on the death of Queen Elizabeth II. As we can recall, just 365 days ago on Friday, September 8th, marked the fall of London Bridge, which was the code name, the long planned and plotted code name for the passing of the Queen. At Balmoral Castle, she died in the afternoon at 3.10 p.m. And we have this clip of Hugh Edwards for the BBC, dressed in black, breaking the news. A few moments ago, Buckingham Palace announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Palace has just issued uh, this statement. It says the Queen died peacefully 
at Balmoral this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. I think what comes across so much in that just brief announcement is his voice catching. Just, I think we all knew that what was imminent when we got a, a news alert about her health that morning, but it was still just saying those words just really caught in your throat. And I think in particular because, you know, as remember, Roberta, I'm sure you remember, just two days or the day before, we had pictures of the Queen at an engagement welcoming the new Prime Minister Liz Truss to Balmoral for the transfer of power. That was very much a part of her royal duties to do. She did look very frail. This was Tuesday. They released the photos on Wednesday. We did talk about there was some minor bruising on her hand. But she was working, you know? I think mm-hmm. that that's what really threw all of us when we when things took such a dramatic turn the day after. We had a false sense of security. The cause mm-hmm. of death was officially listed as old age, but other reports that have since come out, including one from her dear friend G- Giles Brandreth, reported that she had been diagnosed with bone cancer. That is not confirmed. I think what also added to the surprise was the fact that the family wasn't even seemingly concerned those days leading up to the the passing. Charles and Anne were with the Queen at Balmoral, but coincidentally, they were in Scotland. No one was rushing to her side the days leading up to that Thursday. I think the papers at the time were focused on Harry, who was in Dusseldorf to promote the fact that the Invictus Games of 2023, which we're about to embark upon next week, were a year out. And there was a lot of headlines going on about the continued drama between Harry and William and Mm -hmm. their avoidance and would they see each other, would they not? And we also know that Charles hosted a dinner at Dumfries House on that Wednesday night with Jenna Bush Hager, who was due to interview Camilla the next day. And by Jenna's account, all were happy and relaxed the night before. But then that morning at 6 a.m., she heard a lot of frantic energy in the hallways and the interview was canceled. Charles was whisked to Balmoral by helicopter from Dumfries House after a call. She didn't know what was going on, but it was a very big change in tone. We also saw notes passed in Parliament. We saw then that Thursday news that William, Edward, and Andrew were en route to Scotland. And then there was Harry. And we're going to play this clip from Spare because we have additional detail about what his day looked like in that moment. I was on board two hours later. I spent much of the flight staring at the clouds, replaying the last time I'd spoken with Granny. Four days earlier, long chat on the phone. We touched on many topics. Her health, of course. The turmoil at number 10. The Braemar Games. She was sorry about not being well enough to attend. We talked also about the biblical drought. The lawn at Frogmore, where Meg and I were staying, was in terrible shape. Looks like the top of my head, Granny. Balding and brown in patches. She laughed. I told her to take care. I looked forward to seeing her soon. As the plane began its descent, My phone lit up. A text from Meg. Call me the moment you get this, she said. I checked the BBC website. Granny was gone. Pa was king. I put on my black tie, walked off the plane into a thick mist, sped in a borrowed car to Balmoral. As I pulled through the front gates, it was wetter and pitch dark, which made the white flashes from the dozens of cameras that much more blinding. Harry, as we know, was headed to the Wellchild Awards which is also set to take place this year. It really is eerie how much kind of time marches on, but he had to cancel that. And that was his account of when he heard the news, what his last conversation was with the queen. And there's a lot of conflicting accounts, of course, of what went down in in regard to that airplane ride, who made it to see the queen, all of that, and how he learned of her death. 
After that, there was, you know, the palace announced it, but right before there was a double rainbow over Buckingham Palace. And I think that was especially poignant for all of us to see. But it was a really emotional day for both of us, especially. And it kicked off a 10 day period of mourning. Roberta, what do you remember most from that day? I remember exactly where I was. And I think that that's, you know, something that will stick with me for such a long time. I was home at my parents' house in Florida and turning on the news. Um, and just thinking that we had so much more time, I think one of the reasons I was kind of tricked into that was the sense of duty that the queen exhibited two days before, as you mentioned, with her meeting with the prime minister and thinking, you know, with Prince Philip's passing, there was a lot of incidents of him going into hospital, having doctors. The palace kind of kept people pretty up to date. And he he lasted quite a while in the end there. And so I thought that that's sort of how this would be like sickness, but then she'd recover. And so it was such a shock. Where were you when you found out? Yeah. I mean, I think we got a text from our producer that morning just saying that there were really a lot. There was pretty confident reports to where his, you know, connections kind of worked that the queen was going to pass away that day. And I think it was just, you know, you're going about about your day. It's back to school week this week, very much for me. And it was at the time then. And I remember just being so stunned because everything took like just a total left turn. Our whole day was changed and the emotions around it. And also, I think I remember CNN started calling us. A lot of network shows started calling us to come and comment on it. And I remember she hadn't yet passed yet, but I was en route to the studio there and I was in the tunnel and the producer called and was like, we're canceling your segment. Like stand down was the language. Remember, Roberta, we kept hearing stand down. down, And I knew they couldn't confirm to me over the phone, but I knew that it was because the entire news cycle had changed and she had passed. And I think for me, it was just the chills and going through it together with you. That will always be something that I like will remember when I'm old and gray. Same. Comparing our our outfits. I didn't have anything black to wear with me. I feel like that's like something the royals do always is bring a black outfit with them when they travel. And that was something I did not have. So I was wearing my mom's like black sweater for the CNN interview. We eventually at 5 a.m. I remember it was like, I think I had to get up at two or something crazy. Oh, my gosh. On a brighter note, and I think just a more reflective note, we have news that the Queen Elizabeth II Memorial has been confirmed and it will debut in 2026 in London to mark her 100th birthday. There's no details on what it will look like. I think plans are being pitched to King Charles and he'll approve them. But I do like that it will mark what would have been a very significant year for her. An honorable mention also, you know, not to take away from the events of this week, but on September 6, 1997 was when the funeral for Diana, the Princess of Wales, took place. Mm -hmm. And it did sort of surprise me this week to see the news that Mohammed Al-Fayed passed away this week at 94. So very somber royal news week, but... Yeah, lots to think about. So much to think about. Are we about. like the well, biggest subject change of all time about to this happen? This is the pivot <laughs> that no one saw coming. And it is that it is Sussex-tember. I feel like <laughs> is this need even a moment appropriate? of silence. Like, that doesn't no, work, right? we need right? a moment of silence. Should we just like pause for one second? Yes, let's pause. This let's soon pause. ruminate on the queen yes. that day. I kn- to have, like, because I remember really like the floodgates open when that Hugh Edwards announcement came on and just having you to be able to text and the support of all the Roros, the community, I feel like it's just, I know it's like I why know. this is so such an incredible job that we have. Okay. All right. 
Beyonce. Roberta's ready. Roberta's Getting ready. Getting into it. I mean, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because we have a huge interview with Tina Brown and I yes. would love to get to it faster. So just that, you know, Megan and Harry popped up at the Beyonce concert on Friday. I was in Portugal already when this happened. I couldn't believe my eyes to see all of the posts. Megan was there again on Monday night for Bay Day, as it's dubbed. Beyonce's birthday, September 4th. They're exactly a month apart, the same age, Megan and Beyonce. Um, I mean, the dance moves, the selfies, the FaceTimes, whatever that was Harry and Megan were doing in the box. the the Not the royal box, but it could have been the VIP box. The silver coordination. I mean, can you believe Harry's effort at that I mean, outfit? I, I thought, thought that was, was just quite brilliant. Quite brilliant. I loved it. A lot of the reports were that Harry looked so bored. And I think that was definitely from a certain corner of the tabloids, the British tabloids. I need you to click on the link of his dance moves. And I'm, I'm ready. I'm a ready. Snippet of this, yes. Yes. This video. I love it, Roberta, so, so much. It's like Elaine from Seinfeld. I think that was <laughs> the dance moves really reminded me of. But it's just hilarious. I wonder what the queen would think of these dance moves. That's what I kept thinking. I also just love the clip of them during Love on Top because I went to the concert. As you'll remember, we had like a whole Beyonce yes. love fest earlier in the summer. And that Love on Top where she kind of just turns the audience. And I think I have a video of the audience crowd singing for like two plus minutes she doesn't even sing during that time because it's the love that we feel for love on top is so great and I loved seeing their enjoyment of that moment I know I know I especially like I think the reports of Harry being bored it's just like not no it's impossible it's impossible (laughs) and also I picture like when you're you know every word to the song like Megan does every song and if Dave was with me at this concert because Matt wasn't with you at the band no I was by myself I was with a bunch of journalists which was very fun I made a lot of good friends but I feel like the the infectiousness of the Beyonce crowds like if you go solo like I did I was friends with everyone around me in proximity by the time you can't you can't avoid it so I I think that it was Harry caught there was that one picture that first came out and I feel like he was caught at probably just a moment. It's a snapshot, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I can only picture like Dave's reaction just being like, wow, you love this so much. I mean, you, we should always do what our partner loves to do once every Yes, every once it in actually while, inspired but... me in that direction for sure. Yeah. I wanted to mention the girls night out that Megan had for Monday's Beyonce concert. The Renaissance tour and Megan, I mean, it's just a perfect, it's a match made in heaven, but she was hanging out with Kerry Washington and Kelly Rowland, which feels very much inner circle Beyonce like are they texting more since we had that moment from the Netflix documentary of (gasps) Beyonce texted you remember that quote I know I couldn't help but think that as soon as I saw the first footage of her there it was a huge full circle moment for Megan too because she attended New York Fashion Week with Kelly Rowland in 2014 and mentioned that Olivia Pope obviously Carrie Washington's character on Scandal was one of her favorite fiercest girl characters it was a moment when she was interviewed by Hello Canada from 2015 it's that same interview where she had to pick between Harry and William she couldn't decide it was in the Netflix documentary here's that clip fiercest female character on TV Olivia Pope. So we know she was fangirling for sure. She was also spotted with Ted Sarandos, the Netflix CEO, and his wife at the Monday concert. I mean, that contract is alive and well. The Spotify one might be dead in the water, but that one's still going strong. So we'll have to see what's next from the Sussexes. 
I know. One thing I did want to ask you about this with the Beyonce sightings, and I've seen a couple of people talking about this, but just given the amount of fan cam footage, that kind of stuff, do you think that this makes it suspicious about her actually going to Taylor Swift? I know a lot of credible places reported Mm. that she did attend, but we never saw and even a snippet. And I feel like more and more footage of her at Beyonce keeps coming out, officially and unofficially. I wonder if it was like... So private, boxy? Yeah, or just like hard to recognize like if she was wearing a hat or she was more so like disguised within on the floor per se like I just I think that it was credible because it was Lucy Fraser who she was with which was a friend and so I think that that was just like such a specific piece of information yeah and I know people like a lot of respectable outlets reported it all right well Harry had a boys night the next night where he attended the LA football club versus Miami soccer game to see Lionel Messi There was a little bit of an awkward pass by between Harry and the Beckham kid. I forget his name. What's his name? Brooklyn. Brooklyn. It was weird. Like they did a little bit of a double take, but they didn't acknowledge each other. And there's those rumors about the Beckhams not getting along with the Sussexes recently. So that lends a little credence. And maybe it was also when I watched the video, like it was a quick, like they were being kind of hustled along, probably for security reasons. So I couldn't get a read. It's such a There's quick clip. There's so many bodyguards around both of them. Yeah. That it, was, it was really hard to tell, but I, I kind of read into it and thought, uh-oh, things might not be so good. Because you would think that he'd acknowledge the son of David Beckham. But anyways, the Will Ferrell conversation that he had, I mean... One can only dream of being a fly on the wall. Also, to hear Rob, that. Delaney. Rob Delaney. Do they talk about Wrexham? Like, I think that's so fun. Yes, Wrexham. Well, I also always study in Philadelphia. They're both stars of. So it's just, I mean, he had the best time, it seemed like. He also, it was reported that he met Lionel Messi after, was able to talk to him. I had to ask Matt about the stature of Lionel Messi, which is embarrassing. I don't mean to be so like, Matt was like, you need to brush up on sports, was what I was told. <laughs> He was very condescending to me about it. He was like, he's the greatest soccer player of all time right now. <laughs> well, he's like single-handedly propped up the prices of tickets to yes. like $700. Yes, forgive crazy. me for not knowing all of that. Although Harry did have a great week. Doria definitely, hands down, had the best week ever. She was at that This Is About Humanity event with the Kardashians. She was pictured with Kris Jenner. I mean, in the photo, there's another photo of them together. And the photo is actually being taken by Kim Kardashian. So she was definitely rubbing shoulders, rubbing elbows with them. We also saw a lot of videos of Doria Beyonce, which was so, so much fun. She was dancing, dancing her ass off. Can I say ass? I think. It's yes. Fun. I think my favorite... Sh- thing about Doria at Beyonce was it was almost like just her daughter was just in the background. It reminded me of like how our moms would likely be, Roberta, where it's like (laughs) she it was it was about Doria and Beyonce. Like didn't matter who she was with. She was just having the best time being totally herself. I loved it. And she went with her best friend, I guess, this Gina Sapanta woman who has posted some videos of them dancing together and a reel. And it was so much fun to see. This is a good follow. I'm definitely following Gina oh, okay. for all the Doria news. Yes. Sussex September. I mean, it's in full force. Up next, we have the Well Child Awards, which is when this episode comes out, September 7th. So we, I think reports are that Harry is already in London today, Wednesday. Um, Invictus kicks off on September 9th. And then the TIG rumors are in full force. Supposedly, she has, Megan has to act on the application, the trademark application by October in order to keep that copyright. So we will see. Yeah. I kind of liked seeing them out in 
about so much this week because I think they really are in that situation of whether they stay home or go out, the news cycle continues. So I like seeing them just owning them, making the narrative them their own. And they had a lot of joy the last week, too. Yeah, it was just it was no Sussexes for so long that I think this was such a joyful way to come back onto the world stage. And all I want is that silver skirt. Wait, we didn't even talk about the name of the brand. Superwoman. I know. I'm I'm bookmarking this. Um, How this cool. Website. What a great brand choice to go with. We know the royals are so conscious of what they wear, even Megan and Montecito. All right. Kate and Williams' September calendar. I don't have as clever branding as you, Roberta, with that. But we want to talk about the fact that today is supposedly the kids' first day at Lambrook, September 6th. But we don't have any photos yet. So we might have a year where we don't don't get that. And on some level, that feels a little bit respectful or or just a choice for me because I do really associate the back-to-school picks from last year in 2022 with the Queen passing because right. I remember yeah. how gleeful we both were to see so many shots of their first day at Lambrook. And I remember Kate's brown polka dot dress and then the sort of juxtaposition and harsh reality check of the next day with the Queen's health being on, you know, the verge and her passing away. So I, I do have that association, but I'm curious if we'll get something later today. Feels like we might. Maybe next week after the Queen's anniversary of her passing. Probably. I feel like that would be more appropriate if it came out Yes, later. yes. Next up, they're going to Wales, and Kate and William are set to have a very prominent role in honoring the Queen on September 8th. They are visiting St. David's Cathedral, which is a place that the Queen actually visited herself in Wales, and they are set to really lead the memorial recognition of her passing. The King, we will not be seeing. He's honoring it privately at Balmoral. But then this is the big sort of surprise for me is Kate and William are both on to France this weekend. Their back to school calendar must be very overwhelming. I know they have lots of people to manage it. But Kate, being patron of the Rugby Football Union, is going to be attending a Saturday match between England and Argentina at the Stade de Marseille, so in Marseille. And then William will be watching, as patron of the Welsh Rugby Union, the Sunday match between Wales and Fiji at the Stade de Bordeaux. And Bordeaux, I will admit, is one of my favorite locales in France. I'm curious, Roberta, do you think this is a sudden, was this a surprise? Did they add this to the calendar or was this planned all along, especially in the shadow of his response or William's lack of response on some level to attending the Lionesses World Cup in Australia? Mm, I feel like it's probably always been on their radar and with them kind of more recently taking over the patronages of the rugby unions, or at least Kate for that, took over from Harry, I believe. So I just feel like she probably has more of an obligation here to show up in the early stages of this role that she's taken on. But the other big thing is that all of the Middletons seem to be living their best lives in Europe right now. Pippa at a wedding in Lake Como. I'm just in her birthday. I know it's, it's her just... birthday. We totally failed to acknowledge that. Happy birthday, Pippa. <laughs> I will say the official record on the record with William not going to see the lionesses from the palace was the cost and a carbon footprint. But I do feel like unofficially he was just on vacation. And I'm curious what's on the docket for William in terms of a return to Australia. Because I think going for a quick trip, it is something that's quite significant if William and Kate attended again together with the kids, strengthens the Commonwealth. I'm curious what's ahead on that front. We did get yeah. that really adorable Charlotte video with William. I know. I think the backlash to that video in particular wasn't warranted, but I do think he really should have been yes. at the Linus's. I just think that how often, I mean, if it was the men's team in the World Cup, come on, he would be there in two seconds. Yeah. So just... It just really wasn't a good look. And I no, think that now it would have been an easy win. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to make this longer, but I just wanted to talk about Andrew in the carpool. That made my mouth drop while I was away. I get that they were all on vacation at Balmoral. 
and they were going to church. But why did he have to ride with William? Why did Kate get put in the backseat? That really was upsetting to me. And it made me think of Nikki Kristoff, who came on the podcast, and how mm. fish rots from the head down. And the reports mm. say that Charles demanded it and required it of William. I just feel like that was why it just is a bad look. So that's she was the PR crisis expert that came on and she was really yes. wonderful. So I would recommend go back and listening to that episode if you haven't yet. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think it probably came from the top with Charles and it's just so it's really hard to see the Waleses who really are the star power of the monarchy right now being used in this way. Yeah, don't dilute it. Is he, is Andrew being brought back into the fold, do you think? I think that the message is unity, even if he has no return to royal duty. But, like, don't dilute the image of the Waleses with Andrew. It's just you know what you're doing. It's a bad idea. Ugh, it's really bad. It's like having to ride to, like church on christmas morning with like the uncle that you don't like but worse <laughs> like worse i think yeah <laughs> the creepy uncle. like the grinch or something i don't know not the grinch that's not even the right i comparison. love all my uncles yeah, for the record me too, but... Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but still it's not it's not good all right should we get to our conversation with tina brown? yes yes long awaited the inimitable tina brown Row Rose, it is a royal honor to welcome Tina Brown, best-selling author of both the Diana Chronicles and the Palace Papers, back to the podcast to reflect on the one-year anniversary of Queen Elizabeth II's death. Tina has, of course, covered the royals for decades, and her perspective is one we greatly value. Tina, welcome back to Royally Obsessed. Good to be back. Been a minute, but also so much has changed. We wanted to talk with you because obviously September 8th marks the one-year passing of Queen Elizabeth. What do you make of the monarchy a year later, and how do you rank how King Charles III is doing? Well, to be honest, I'm kind of uh, bowled over, really, by how smoothly this transition has gone, even though it has been buffeted by Harry the Hurricane. Because, uh, you know, when the Queen passed, I really expected a kind of destabilizing to happen. But frankly, the way she managed her exit from this world was as beautifully choreographed as really everything about her and her reign. It was so thoughtful the way she went out because clearly they'd been planning for years uh, what would happen if she died in various different places. They had to have a series of different plans. If she, did she die at Windsor or if she died at Balmoral? She wanted to die in Scotland, I was told by several people who knew her very well. It was always her desire to, to die at Balmoral. And she was in her last months, and she knew she was in her last months. And I'm told that she was actually looking to extend her stay there last year because she wanted to die in Balmoral, and she knew it wasn't far off, and that's where she wanted to pass. And it happened just as she wished it had done. And as a result, she died in a place which at that point had a, had a sort of instability in the in the union. You know, there'd been a cries for Scotland to be independent. But somehow by dying in Scotland, she reinforced the bond of the whole of the uh, United Kingdom as one kingdom. As her body went through Edinburgh, as she kind of slowly made her way to London from Balmoral, there was a real sense of this was the way it ought to be. And it re-cemented her into the whole Scottish uh, uh, story essentially. So that, I think, was a beautiful thing to see. It was also amazing how Charles, right from the moment she died, clearly he'd been preparing for a long time, but as we know, even, you know, the best uh, laid plans can change and, and the emotion of the moment. But he really made a very moving, very human, very dignified address when she died. And that tone, he managed to maintain it throughout. I mean, he performed really flawlessly. One little snit about his leaking pen but that was pretty incredible given the stress of the, those, you know, that week 
where he was on constant public show ceremonially had to be absolutely flawless and contain you know the emotions of a son having left his mother lost his mother so it was a really uh, amazing thing and i think he has maintained frankly that um stability ever since yeah, we talk about king, the king as the emotional king, and he really has brought like the pen incident that you mentioned, this sort of humanity and realism to, especially in that moment, what he was going through. Mm-hmm. He really has. And of course, having Camilla at his side, the woman that he loves, uh, I think greatly stabilized him. And the whole picture was of one of a sort of uh, a family that knew what it was doing. And then, of course, he had immediately all the dramas of, of both uh, the Sussex documentary and Spare. And again, that could have really thrown the whole story again but they made the excellent very much you know queen elizabeth ii decision to keep going just behave as if nothing had happened come out in force do a thousand gigs smile 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 do your public service and everything would calm down that's exactly what happened and they did it they really did i mean of course william and kate were flawless in the way they came out and they did multiple engagements they all did the whole family rallied and did these multiple engagements. They were everywhere. I mean, they were just everywhere. And gradually, I mean, you know, you could see how the British people were, their popularity really grew tremendously at that time. And and a, a sense that Harry, uh, you know, he's no longer popular at all. Hmm. Yeah, there was such an outpouring of grief around that time. We want to flash back to one year ago. Where were you when you found out about the Queen's passing? Do you remember your initial reaction? Yes, I, I was actually in New York and I was about to sit down for breakfast with somebody and I got this flash saying uh, the announcement, the Queen, you know, who uh, was in poor health, which is always, I mean, you know, look, they never say anything about her health. So it was clearly the beginning of the end and you saw the the sign, all the signs of the kind of everybody getting ready for the big, for the big announcement, which of course people had been rehearsing for for decades. I mean, you know, the Queen had 70 years, so for the last 40, really 40 years, the BBC has been rehearsing her death so I mean and, and presenters and anchors had come and gone and producers had retired and they still kept re-rehearsing what would happen when the queen died so um it was a very somber moment a very beautiful moment actually of of of, of national grieving it wasn't hysterical it was nothing like the death of Diana which was a hugely emotional outpouring of sort of almost I mean, the crowds went insane that's not what happened with the queen what happened was this very dignified very sort of uh, somber, very melancholy, but but beautiful um, national mourning that took place. And the respect that was shown by people in that, what was came to be known as the queue, when those miles and miles of people filing solemnly past her casket. I mean, it, it was just extraordinary. People high and low, you know, young and old, every ethnic uh, uh, persuasion, you know, every every kind of, you know, it, it, it was nothing to do with like, oh, old middle class people are, form, you know, are lining up to see the Queen. It was, you know, young immigrants and it was, you know, people in wheelchairs. It was it was really remarkable to see the absolute respect that the Queen had commanded and people solemnly filed past that that coffin and they, they queued all night. Some of them. I mean, they were there for David Beckham, too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Celebrities. It was really remarkable to see, actually. It was a very, very sobering to see, really. And uh, I think very reinforcing of the national sort of respect for monarchy. I mean, all of these things people, you know, hadn't known what to expect. But this is what was shown that 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 period. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned, you know, Princess Diana and her, you know, comparing that 
funeral and that sort of passing, you know, we recently marked the 26th anniversary of her death on August 31st. And it made us think of the question, you know, with Charles now, how much has changed in the last year? What do you think Diana would think of Charles in the top job as she once referred to it? Well, she she maintained in the, of course, the Martin Bashir interview that he should never be king, that he wasn't up to it. She's wrong. I mean, she would have had to accept that she was wrong. The irony is about Diana that in the last years, uh, sort of months and really the last couple of years of her life, she and Charles were actually on much better terms. My theory of the case is that had she lived, she and Charles would now be very good friends because Mm -hmm. they had a lot in common, actually. Um, She had her great causes and her passions, and he did. And I think that uh, Diana's problem was she married him when she was a child. You know, Mm -hmm. she was 19 when she got engaged. She didn't understand what it meant to be in public service. She didn't understand uh, any of it, really. And uh, she happened to be dazzlingly good at it in her own way, of course, and transformed uh, uh, how people thought it should be done. But, you know, it was for her all absolutely turbulent and terrible. And we know, of course, the worst was that her husband wasn't in love with her. But as the years went by, I actually think Diana and Charles would have become pretty good friends. And uh, it's such a tragic thing that it couldn't happen. I know. We do know that for in those later, those months right before that they were working out a system with co-parenting. There were some reports of that too. Yes. Yes, definitely. No, they talked about the children. Uh, they talked about their causes and, you know, probably Diana would have remarried. And at that point, you know, as I say, they might've been, been friends. And of course it would have been so much better if that had happened, but uh, alas, we are where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tina, we want to flash forward a bit to some more recent headlines that we've seen. So the princess and the Princess of Wales and Rose Hanbury at a rave, Meghan Markle potentially joining Instagram at the Beyonce concert. What do you make of the the news swirling around the royal daughters-in-law currently? Well, there's no relationship, obviously, between them at all. They do their jobs, you know, enormously differently. You know, I mean, Kate has really become, I would say, you know, in a sense, most powerful member of the royal family obviously the king is the most powerful but she is the one with the leverage and everybody knows it and she knows it because frankly kate is the most adored the most popular the most flawless member of the royal family and of course you know in her is the hope of the next generation so she knows very well you know what her leverage is and you know she chooses to do what she likes when she likes and does it brilliantly but she also won't be pushed into not be able, being able to perform her role as a mother, which for her is the most important role in her entire sort of uh, repertoire. So she has managed to stay a hands-on mother in a very, very involved way and in a very sort of modern way, and also to get William to do the same. So um, she's quite fabulous, really, in the way she manages to juggle all of that and somehow always be so impeccable in the way she presents that role. She's very, very powerful at the moment in the family. Frankly, if anything happened to the Wales's marriage at this point, mm. it's curtains. I mean, you know, I don't believe that the monarchy could sustain if there was a divorce again in like there was with Charles and Diana. Mm-hmm. I think the tolerance for it would not be there. And then everyone would start to question, why do we need, why do we need the monarchy? So I think Kate is very, you know, very aware. It's a big burden for her because she's very aware that on her rests this this trust and this future and you know William I think it, I think people have really underestimated how tough it is for William I think William is not I don't think he looks very happy quite honestly I think that he feels I think he misses Harry I mean despite the rancor between them uh these two you know they were the only people who knew what it was like to be them and in the end Harry was the only person who could talk to William 
absolutely as a peer. Everybody else is subservient, everyone. Clearly, Kate is, is you know, you know he, he is his peer, but I mean, at the same time, there is nobody else who understands what it's like to be William except Harry. So, and, and he used to keep Harry, he, you know, William is quite a earnest and quite a, uh, you know, he, he needs to be jollied up a bit, you know, he needs to be um, lightened up, you know, he, ne he needs to be laughed at a bit because, you know, he's surrounded with so many uh, sycophants. And I think he misses that with mm -hmm. Harry. He, he really does. I mean, you know, people talked about at the time about, oh, Harry, you know, William looks after Harry. I actually think Harry looked after William uh, in yeah. when it was going on. And I think he does miss it. And I think it's a big hole in his life. And I also think, frankly, his life has become so much harder without Harry to take some of the burden. I mean, he made a giant mistake, I believe, in not going to the Lioness game in Australia. Yeah. But, you know, frankly, if Harry had been there, Harry would have gone, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. th 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 there's not, there aren't enough members of the family now to be everywhere at once. Yeah. And, you know, he's trying to be a dad as well. And how many places can he be at the same time representing, you know, the flawless next member of the family? They, he, they need Harry in the repertoire, actually. Yeah. He, was a, he was a great addition to the lineup. People loved him. He was fun. He, he brought a different tone. He could travel the world. There was a whole other set of skills that Harry brought to the mix that I think that they really miss now. And uh, it, it, it adds to the pain of it all, I think, for William. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you talked a little bit about the state of things between the Sussexes and the family, and we know that Harry will be in the UK this week for the Well Child Awards. But as far as you know, he's not to be part of any memorial in relation to the Queen. No, I mean, I think people keep on saying as if it's surprising. Oh, you know, Harry wasn't asked to Balmore. Harry wasn't. I mean, he's not part of the family right now. I mean, he's, they are estranged and he's not going to be included in family lineups unless something changes in that entire equation. So, I mean, no, I don't think that we, we can expect Harry to be a part of anything really now, unless something changes. He's done the big things, you know, he did the Queen's funeral and he did the, his father's coronation, but I don't see him part of future celebrations and services. And no, I don't. I think that until something changes, he's gone. You mentioned, you know, the monarchy is uh, small right now to cover all of their bases and that William probably misses Harry. Would that bring him back into the fold somehow? What would need to happen for him to come back? I don't see Harry coming back while Meghan is part of the his life. I mean, it seems to me that that bitterness is just all too great. And he feels honor bound to demand that the family in some ways offers some huge kind of uh olive branch yeah olive branch to megan that you know i don't think they feel is justified particularly or want to do and uh i don't think they understand what all the grievance is about at this point after so long and i so i don't think that's going to happen and i suspect honestly i don't think it's in megan's interest for it to happen because she doesn't want to live in england at all and uh, she doesn't like it she feels rejected by England. Uh, she loves her life in California. It's always where she wanted to be. And there's nothing in it for her, whatever. So I don't see her, unless something happened that was so big that necessitated her feeling she has to go, like everything went so badly wrong here that it would be a good exit strategy from here. And I don't. I think myself that Megan will continue to do have quite a successful life as a kind of Instagram influencer, et cetera, certainly enough enough uh to finance kind of a lifestyle that that she prefers here 
I don't see what's in it for her to go back to England. So I, I think that Harry, though, might wish to go back and would probably, probably misses quite a lot of that life and that stature. But I don't see how he does it uh, is as a married man. Well, Tina, we want to know what are your predictions for the monarchy's future at this point? What aspects of Queen Elizabeth's legacy do you think will remain? Well, I think a lot of changes are happening at the moment. I mean, there's no doubt, particularly with the small size of the royal family now. I mean, to put it mildly, they're overhoused, right? <laughs> so I think the tolerance of the British government and the British people for financing and helping to pay for all of these massive homes is going to really end. Mm. And I mean, you know, you've got Windsor Castle, you've got Sandringham, you've got Balmoral, you've got, you know, Buckingham Palace. I mean, I think that you're going to see at least two of those being turned over to the public as museums. I think that uh, Charles is already engaged in a huge kind of downsizing of staff. I mean, there was a huge court that served the Queen Elizabeth. I mean, you know, footmen and banqueting managers. And I mean, there was a massive court is the truth. And I think nobody wanted to touch that while she was alive. But I don't think that that will, I think there's going to be a great many layoffs there in terms of staffing. I think that'll all be changed. And I think it's going to go on changing. I mean, I suspect that William will want to have much more of a European style monarchy. Uh, you know, I, I think that Charles is still enough of a traditionist that he will be, for instance, you know, up in Balmoral Castle for a few weeks. He does prefer his own estate at Burke Hall, which is his house on the Balmoral estate. I can see, though, that William will have no time for the for the big house at all. You know, I mean, I think that he will think that I think he loves Scotland and he will go there. But I don't think that I don't see him taking, you know, a three month vacation in Balmoral Castle. I just think these kind of mores have, have completely changed. He, it's possible that they might move into he and Kate could move into Windsor Castle as their sort of home. But they're much more like, I mean, what they really want to move into is the house that Prince Andrew is in on the on the grounds, which is Royal Lodge, which is the home that belongs used to belong to the Queen Mother. It's a beautiful, huge house. Yeah, what's so appealing about it? It's it's really unique or it's got, you know, it's just it's set in this beautiful Windsor Park. You know, it's it's got multiple bedrooms, it's it's very grand, it's but it's but it's containable. It's a it's a beautiful home, such as you can imagine a family with three kids being in if they were very, very, very wealthy. But, you know, Windsor Castle is a whole different thing. I mean, they'd be living in a granite wall castle, probably needs massive amounts of modernization. I mean, I'm sure the Queen, you know, she used to sit there with a kind of, you know, an old fashioned gas fire and virtually a Bakelite radio. I mean, you know, I'm sure that Windsor <laughs> Castle, you know, it probably needs massive amounts of mm. renovation and modernizing and updating. And I'm not sure that Kate would really want her kids to be coming here from school and coming home to a castle. I yeah. think she'd find, you know, I don't think she's going to like that really. So, what, what are the homes that they'll keep? I mean, you know, it's um, Sandringham, I think they quite like. I, 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 Buckingham Palace, nobody likes. So I yeah. think it will be purely a formal entertaining setting when, when, when Charles has a state banquet. Wow. Well, I guess our last question is, it's been a year. There's a lot ahead to look forward to, but we'd love to hear from you on what are you particularly excited about when it comes to the future of the House of Windsor? It's a real changing of everything with Charles at the helm, the top job, as we said, but I think it's also been a few years of steady drama and that's kind of plateaued as well. So we'd love to hear your take. Well, soon, within about seven years, it's all going to be about who Prince George is dating. Let's face it. (laughs) So true. I mean, I'm looking looking forward to the George and Charlotte, you know, and Louis. Yes, too. I mean, look, you know, uh, Harry will be the balding uncle's Harry and, 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 you know, William and Kate will be solid middle-aged people and you're going to have the swinging trio these three very attractive kids, actually. I mean, 
to me, uh, you know, Princess Charlotte, she is a star, absolute star. She actually, to me, she, she is like, she has queen written all over her. So mm-hmm. I don't know what will happen. Supposing Georgie <laughs> says, you know what, I'm out. I want to be a tech billionaire. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we have no idea what these kids want to do. They're going to have wills and, and minds of their own. And I think unlike uh, the preceding rules, I really do believe that William and Kate will say, if you don't want to do it, you should not do it. I mm-hmm. don't think they're going to try to force their kids into the royal way if they don't want it. That'll be a very big change because right. William has has accepted the mantle, right? I mean, he's basically, I think with some regret, but I think he's doing it. He's accepted that he's going to be king. Will Will Georgie? We don't know. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) I know Charlotte's Wimbledon sunglasses were the highlight of our summer, I think. (laughs) So cute. She's fabulous. She's fabulous. And and Louis just has like, you know, he's he's got Hollywood written all over the time. There'll be the the hippest cousins, you know, in Montecito. You're going to have, you know, the gorgeous Archie, as I'm sure he'll be, given how his parents look. The gorgeous Archie and the gorgeous Lilibet, you know, who may well be, you know, uh, running Hollywood studios for all we know. But they're they're going to be a very exciting next gen. Oh, we can't love these predictions. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Tina, thank you so much for joining us. It really is an honor, as we said, and we look forward to continuing to keep up with all of your work, too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So fun. God save the king. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Now, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, our highs and lows. Quickly, my low is that Diana's biographer, Andrew Morton, released this never-before-heard audio tape of the princess. Good Morning America had the exclusive. Here's the clip. My husband won't even talk to mommy, barely. Because at Harry's christening, Charles went up to mommy and said... You know, he was so disappointed we thought it'd be a girl. And mommy snapped his head off and said, you should realize how lucky you are to have a child that's normal. It's the late Princess Diana in her own words. Ever since that day, a shutter's come down and that's what he does when he gets somebody answering back at him, so to speak. I think it's just so low because it just underscores how badly Charles wanted Harry to be a girl. And he really also doesn't take kindly to anyone disagreeing with him, which I think we saw in the most recent season of The Crown with Dominic West a little bit too. And yeah, it just, it makes me sad about Harry as a child, maybe not fulfilling his father's every wish. But yeah, it's really interesting, uh, these coming to light. It's going to be featured in a new documentary by friend of the pod, Tom Jennings, who we've had on twice. We're going to have to call him back, Rachel. But the documentary is called Diana, The Rest of Her Story. It's coming out early 2024. So next year, bookmarking that. Yeah, it's eerie hearing extended cuts of these tapes, too. Milo is just, I feel like, I think something that I'm just sort of curious about is Fergie's podcast over. Tea Talks with the Duchess and Sarah ended there. A lot of people are calling first season, but Fergie's caption mentioned, quote, her final episode and, quote, it has been such a joy to co-host a podcast with my friend Sarah. That feels final to me. I'm not ready mm-hmm. for it to be over, Robert. I've really enjoyed uh, the snippets and the little honestly, royalty that has been spilled. And I hope there's a season two. She even talked about comparing herself to Diana in the last episode, the queen's final words to her. I think that there's a lot more to share. I hope Fergie comes back. I know. I hope everything's okay with her health too. I know. know. Obviously that recent health scare. 
with breast cancer. All right. My high is the crown is confirmed. Woo! My TV watching has been kind of on hiatus. It's really just taken a backseat because I feel like not a lot of stuff is coming out. Sex, All education. sex education is coming out. I knew you were going to say that Great too. Minds. But the crown teased that it will be back this fall for the sixth, not this fall, by the end of the year, for the sixth and final season. They included a photo of Charles and Camilla's wedding program. I wasn't expecting that. I know. A lot of comments said that why did, why should it end there? If it started with the queen, it should end with the queen's death. I kind of agree. They also said there should be a pre-show to before Elizabeth. I totally agree that the crown should do that. And then also that Princess Margaret's death, we know, is a huge, huge blow to Elizabeth. I think, you know, we'll obviously Diana's see Diana's death in the sixth season, but that's going to be a big one, too, is Princess Margaret. So... A lot to look forward to in the TV watching scene, though. Thank you for that confirmation, Netflix and Peter Morgan. My high, as you kind of teased, is just Pippa and the fashion this week on vacation in Europe. I'm calling it her Tomato Girl Summer, that dress that she wore to Belle Porter and Max Robinson's wedding at Lake Como. It is still in stock. Do not sleep on this. It's called the Donatella Ruffle Dress. I just loved it. Bravo, Pippa. It really made my week. I love seeing her out and about, and it's great on her birthday. She stood out in the crowd because no one else was wearing as bright a color as that. And she had her Eden Rock clutch in support of her father. I I looked into this because I just I was just so loving. There was an absence of royals, but Pippa was there to save the day. So give us the fashion. Royal fashion, please. Credit. Yeah. All right. Just a reminder before we close, please leave us a review if you love listening on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Here is a recent review from Freckles Runner, A plus from Brit from a Brit and Brit. This podcast is simply the best. Rachel and Roberta are professional, balanced in their views, and do not tear down the royals. If you love all things royal and enjoy keeping it classy, this is the royal pod for you. R and R report on the weekly royal news, the good and the bad, and share their own opinions and thoughts. Who doesn't love to speculate what the royals are up to? <laughs> so true. The weekly rundown of fashion, history, news stories, and their incredible guests do not disappoint each week. The Royal Cocktail is a huge bonus. Are in our classy royal fanatics. They wrote a book from royal fan Brit, who's also a Brit and a dual citizen of the UK. Thank you wow. so much Thank for your you. Kind of words, Brit. And the book shout out. Yeah. All right. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Also, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and send us an email info at gallerypodcast.com. And till next week, God God save save the the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.